Hello. Welcome to Father's Day at Fountain Springs. My name is Tom Canan. I am Pastor David's father. Now, I've spoken here before, and to remind you, I don't call him David. I call him Augie. You remember the cartoon? Augie Doggy, Doggy Daddy? Augie, my son, my son? That's my son. And we are thrilled to be here with he and Katie and our grandloves. Grandloves, that is the way to go. We should have started with them. <laughs> I don't know how that works, but uh, it's great to be here with uh, them. And, and Queenie, my wife, is here, although she's, and uh, I, I just I love being with her. Now, I'll tell you what amazes me. I mean, Augie is, he's, I think he's close to 60 years old now. <laughs> he has never changed. Looks the same. I brought some pictures. This is our family at a normal time back a few years ago. Now, here is the Og when he is attempting to look studious. No, not this one. Not this one. This one. He's pretending that he cares about homework. He doesn't. He was probably watching a video. And then here he is looking just so sweet. Your pastor with a ton of hair. Just thought I'd bring a little insight to you. I want to introduce you to a word that's probably not a familiar word to you unless you're Jewish. It's the word teshuva. It's a word that really comes into play uh, about the time of Rosh Hashanah, which is the new year for Jews. And right on the heels of that, Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. Teshuva, teshuva means answer, reply, return, repentance, atonement, or turning toward God. Teshuva is a pretty important practice. According to uh, Judaism, if you sin against God, then you need to repent and through prayer seek forgiveness from Him. Now, in the course of a year, if you offend anybody or wrong anybody, which I can't imagine we would do that over the course of a year, but just in case, then it says you need to go to those people and repent to seek forgiveness for whatever wrong you did to them. Now, teshuva means more than just repentance. Try to, try to imagine this. You've got, you've got some window panes in your house. Now, this, of course, would not be your house, but somebody else's house, and they're dirty. And maybe a little muddy, maybe even cobwebs on them. And so the sun is bright outside, shining through, but this window pane is kind of messing up the brightness that could be taking place. You and I are those window panes. And unfortunately, there is mud and dirt and junk in our lives. And where the Lord desires to shine through us, to illuminate His power, His grace, His love, Sometimes in our lives, 
We're hiding it. It's messed up. Here on Father's Day, you know, Father's Day brings a lot of mixed emotions to some people. If statistics are true, and probably some of you in here have been abused by your father, or maybe you're estranged from your father, and sometimes we come to a day like this where we want to honor fathers, you don't particularly feel like honoring fathers. Others of you, dads, your desire is that you want to be a good father. We want to teach our kids how to hunt, play baseball, do whatever it is we think they should know. But here's the interesting thing. We can do all of those things and spend lots of time with our kids. But the reality is, if we are not introducing them to Christ, if they're not seeing Christ in us, we are not being a good father. We're not being what we need to be. We're not making the difference that we need to make. Oh, so we could say, well, so what do I need to do? Probably instinctively we think, what is it that I need to remove from my life, get rid of, that will enable me to be a better father or husband or wife or just a better person? But let's, let's phrase it differently. And I ask myself the question, is there anything in my life that I'm holding back from him? Is there anything in my life that I say, Lord, I love you, and you can have this, this, you can have all this stuff, but this one area I'm going to hold on to, maybe it's your family, maybe it's your money or your hobbies or whatever, but something in your life that you are holding back from the Lord, and he's not running it. say, well, you know, it's a little pushy, Tom, because we're not perfect. It's not like everything is just squeaky clean in our lives, and it seems a little outrageous that God would say to us, I want everything, and yet that's exactly what he says. We want to look at a story today from the Bible in Genesis 22. I, I thought it would be good if on Father's Day, when I'm going to be with my son, that I want to talk about killing your son. It just seemed to fit. I want to tell you something. When Yog was a little baby, that little boy didn't sleep more than 20 minutes at a shot. Have any of you ever had little ones like that? Yeah, you know. And, and I mean, Finally, get him to sleep, lay him down in the crib. As soon as he hit that crib, rah, crying. I, during those months, I understood child abuse. <laughs> I didn't do it, but I understood it. Well, along comes the Lord to Abraham. He says, uh, Hey, I want you to kill your son. Now, come on. I'm thinking at this point, I'm going to push back if I'm Abraham. I mean, embodied in Isaac, his son. This is the promise. God had made all kinds of promises to him. He said, hey, 
Stick with me because I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Now, Abraham, uh, he looked at that little boy and he thought, wow, there's my legacy. And God says, kill him. Now, you've got to understand that Abraham is not a wuss. He's not some sissy nomad that wouldn't push back on God. In fact, if you just go back about three or four chapters in Genesis, Abraham is pushing back on God. God says, hey, I'm going to come in and wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham says, time out. Come on. Hey, if I could just find 50 righteous people, could you cut them some slack? God says, okay. And then Abraham starts the downward trend. How about 45? And he goes on down. Abraham knew what it was like to push back. And what's interesting in this account in Genesis 22 is that Abraham, rather than push back, immediately jumps to be obedient to the Lord. Now listen, because I want you to understand this very clearly. Our spiritual strength will never really be iron until what we desire becomes secondary to what God desires. In fact, we love what God desires. That's where the Lord wants us. Let's look at the passage here in Genesis chapter 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here am I, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out to the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship. And then notice this. And then we will come back to you. There's, there's something, something in Abraham that thought, I don't know if God's going to ask this or not. I'm thinking I'm going to bring him back. Well, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac and he himself carried the fire and the knife. Now, see, that's interesting, too, because I'm, I'm thinking if I'm Abraham and I'm supposed to sacrifice my son, I'm hoping my matches are wet. I'm hoping there's no way I can get a fire going. I'm hoping there's no way I can actually carry through. And yet he goes with the wood and he goes with the fire already stoked up and he's carrying it with him. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son. Abraham replied, the fire and wood are here. Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. <clears throat> it's a powerful statement. It, it makes me wonder in my own life, the times that God has called me to do something that I could see no way that it could be done. I thought that it was outrageous, absurd, even what he's asking me to do. Could I be able to say somehow God will provide the way for this to occur? 
And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place where God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. That may be a story with which you are familiar, but let's look into it a little bit, see what we can discover. First of all, some background. You really can't jump into Genesis 22 without going back at least to Genesis 12, where God establishes a covenant with Abraham. And he tells him, you're going to be the father of many nations. Well, it's, I mean, it's, Abraham's juiced up. And it's, he moves because God says to him, look, I want you to move from Haran, where you currently live, and I want you to take off, take your family, take everything, and I'll tell you where you need to stop. By the way, fathers, take note of this. Have you ever wondered why did Abraham go to Canaan? Genesis 11 tells us. In Genesis chapter 11, right near the end, it tells us that Terah, his father, at one time set out to go to Canaan, but he stopped in Haran. Isn't that interesting? His father put a dream in Abraham's mind that God would someday bring to life. So they take off, and they go there. And they're going along, and he's... Abraham's waiting for this promise. He's waiting for this son that God promised him. He gets a little impatient. And in the custom of the time, Sarah says, hey, man, I'm, not, I'm just not doing it. So, Abraham, how about you take Hagar, my maidservant, and you have a child with her. Now, again, you're thinking here, Abraham's going to kind of push back. But he says, no, he says, great idea, Sarah. Great idea. So he takes Hagar, they have a son, Ishmael, and of course Ishmael became the seed for all the Arabs. Isaac was the seed for all the Jews, and they continue to fight to this day when Abraham began to try to take things into his own hands. Not that you and I would ever try to do things that way, would we? Sometimes I think we try to do God's will our way, and it just doesn't work. Well, finally one day, the angel of the Lord comes to Abraham and he says, hey, we hit, that, we hit that moment. You're going to have that son. Abraham kind of laughs and he says, hey, are you laughing? Oh, no, no, Lord, no, really. I think 99 is a good time for me to have a son. <laughs> Goes to Sarah, Sarah, this is the time. Sarah laughs and the angel of the Lord says, are you laughing? Oh, no, 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 I'm not laughing. Sure enough, <clears throat> Sarah gets pregnant and Isaac is born. You know what Isaac means? It means laughter. So here's this little boy, born in, a, a, into this family as a son of promise. And they laugh and they play and you know, who knows all the stuff they did together. But somewhere along the line, you have to ask the question, did Abraham and Sarah's focus 
shift from God the Father to their son. I've noted many, many times uh, families will have children born and somehow that child pushes them away from the church, pushes them away from the discipline of worshiping the Lord. And so the scripture tells us here in Genesis 22 that we just read, God said, Abraham, I think I've got a test for you. I want you to go kill your son. So they set out. And as the scripture says, they've got everything they need. And, you know, Isaac says, hey, dad, where's the sacrifice? Oh, don't worry, son, the Lord will provide. They get up on the mountain and all of a sudden, Abraham ties Isaac up and lays him on the altar. And you get it. The laughter has ceased. Isaac's not laughing. Abraham's not laughing. What's going on here? What's happening? And Abraham raises that knife to strike the final blow. And God stops him. Don't you lay a hand on that boy. And I think that had to be one of the most relieving times in Abraham's life. And God provided the ram. And the laughter began again. Well, I want us to take a look at this and say, what are some principles that we can draw out of this that can help us in our lives? Number one, what we sometimes see as unthinkable to obedient servants, it's unquestionable. Kill your son? How outrageous is that? I mean, to us, that is unthinkable. For Abraham, it was unquestionable. He believed God. That's, that's what faith is. Faith believes God. And Abraham was a man of faith. Now, you know, we would say, that's a stupid command. How about the command where the Lord says, love your enemies. Forgive those that persecute you. Hey, you know when everybody in your office got a raise and you didn't? Just smile about that. No big deal. Hey, I want you to give 10% of your income to the Lord. Are you crazy? See, God gives a lot of commands that we kind of push away because we have predetermined, for whatever reason, they don't apply to us. Let somebody else love their enemies. Let somebody else forgive those that persecute them. Let somebody else give. That is just outrageous, but I'm telling you, for the person who loves the Lord, they don't think those commands are unthinkable. They know unquestionably they are commands that bring them peace and victory in life. And we need to stop 
pushing back on God and begin to receive his word, even though we really honestly don't get it. It doesn't make sense to us. Because secondly, there's always more to what God says than what we initially understand. I think sometimes we forget the necessity of building a relationship with the Lord. I know this is going to sound bizarre to you. When, when Queenie and I were dating, I used to spend a lot of time on the phone talking to her mother. I don't know why. I really don't. When I think back, I think, that was weird. Well, we talked a lot. Now, can you imagine that being the case, that when I was with Queenie, I would say, you know, there's really no need for us to talk because I've been talking to your mother. I know you pretty well. Would you agree with me that that's stupid? Did I use that word? And yet, how often do we do that with the Lord? That our knowledge of him is pretty much encompassed and coming to church and sitting and whatever the pastor says, that's what we know about God. Because we don't take the time to get into his word. We just scratch the surface of what's out there. God is infinite. And his word has infinite truth in it. And we need to know him because we commune with him. We pray, we read, we study. We want to know about him because we love him. I'm going to tell you, we are arrogant if we think we have the ability to think through things better than he can. When he gives us commands like he does, we say, you didn't think that one through. Yeah, I really did. And we are arrogant to think that we're smarter than him. We're ignorant if we think that what God says is shallow and full of holes. We're foolish if we ignore his commands. And we are lost if we think we can map out a better direction in our life than he can. There's more than meets the eye. And we have to begin to trust him and trust his word and trust his direction. What some consider as sacrifice, others consider as privilege. I read, and this happened a few years back, but there were a couple of gentlemen who were visiting Korea, South Korea. And <clears throat> there was a missionary who was kind of taking them around, giving them this tour. And they were out in the country in this field, and they noticed over here that there was a young boy who was pulling a plow and the father was guiding the plow. And these two guys thought it was kind of amusing, thought a little odd that the boy is out there like an animal pulling the plow. They took a picture. And he said to the missionary, that family is obviously pretty poor. And the missionary said, yes, they are. And the missionary went on to explain, he said, the church they attend has been growing and they had to build a new church and this family wanted to be able to give and to help, but they didn't have any money. So they sold their ox 
and gave that money to the Lord. That's why the boy is pulling the plow. And it was just kind of silence with these guys. And after a couple of minutes, one of them said, that's really quite a sacrifice. And the missionary said, they didn't consider it a sacrifice. They thought they were fortunate that they had an ox to sell. I sometimes wonder, what do we possess that God wants? That he actually put into our hands and we thought, there's no way we can part with this. Again, what are we withholding from the Lord? What is it that he wants to use? How about our lives? You know, what we love can grow out of God's heart. So that we begin to love what he loves. You, you know this. When you fall in love with somebody, man, you want to shower them with gifts, and pretty soon things begin to change. You start loving what they love. Queenie and I just celebrated our 46th anniversary, which is amazing to me. I'm only in my late 20s. I'm not even sure how we got to 46. But there's a lot of stuff that I do in life that were not for her, I would never do. I'll give you one example. And men, I beg your forgiveness for this. I watch Hallmark movies with her. I have given up my man card. I sit on the couch and with a smile on my face, watch them. And she'll say, hey, did you know there's a new Hallmark movie coming out tonight? And I think to myself, there's a new one every night. How do these people do this? You get it. When you love someone, there's just, you want to please them. There's something about you that what they love just grows in your heart. I wonder how many... How many of us are really in love with the Lord until what he loves and what he wants is really a driving passion in our hearts? You know, you may not always have the, the means ready and waiting to do what God asks you to do, but we should have the willingness and the heart ready to go. Abraham, when God, God came to him, he had to gather the donkey and the wood and get all the stuff together. But his heart was ready. He said, God, whatever you want, doesn't make any sense to me, but somehow I'm going to go do it. Don't miss something really important here. Abraham trusted God, but conversely, God trusted Abraham. He knew Abraham wouldn't have to kill his son. But he knew Abraham would go to that limit. God's omniscient. I, I am amazed that God trusts us with the gospel. He's trusting you. He believes that we're the ones that should take it out and let people know about him. We've got to have the heart and the willingness to do it. 
Only God knows what's best, and his commands are what's best. We may not understand it, but when we do what he asks us to do, that's when we begin to experience victory. And the truth of the matter is, obedience assumes victory. You know, in, in, this, in this passage, if you look at child sacrifice, aside from the fact that it's barbaric, inhumane, insane, but it was a part of the culture, it was a part of the custom, but do you realize how arrogant child sacrifice is? As if we could take a human being, and we are all born into sin, and we have all sinned, how can we take a human being and sacrifice it as if this imperfect, flawed human would somehow appease God? We sometimes become very arrogant in our responses. But obedience assumes victory. I'm guessing that all of us here really have a desire to be obedient to the Lord, even though we don't always follow through. A long, long time ago, <clears throat> Augie was about eight years old, and he and I studied karate together. It's a manly thing to do. We know karate. We can clean up on anybody that comes our way as if we were being attacked. <laughs> so, in the midst of all this, our family went out on a family outing. We went to Kmart. So we go to Kmart, and Queenie and Punk, that's her daughter, I call her Punk, they go off to wherever they're going to go. I have no idea. Augie and I head for electronics because we want to drool and covet over electronics. Now, I remind you that Augie's eight years old. Eight-year-olds are short. You know how easy it is to overlook an eight-year-old? Real easy. So I'm, I'm looking around. I'm drooling. The floor around me is wet. All of a sudden, I notice Augie's not with me. And this is not good. I don't know how to tell Queenie I've lost our son. So I start looking, and I see the og coming toward me down the aisle. And my brain clicks, which is dangerous, but it clicked. So I started walking down there toward him, and I got right up beside him, and I screamed. I turned and kicked right in the stomach. I stopped. I stopped right here. I turned back, and I looked to my right, and there was Augie. I don't know who this little boy was. <laughs> don't know. But he was moving fast. <laughs> and I said to the Og, we need to go. Grab Queenie. And I, I told Queenie, I said, I can see it now. Sunday, they're going to come to church. And that little boy's going to say, Mom, he's the guy. <laughs> Wasn't good. Listen, you and I, with the best of intentions, are some try, we're sometimes trying to knock down the wrong doors. And we think it's the right door. 
We think if we just spend time with our families, if we just do right things, that somehow that's the door that makes it right, and it doesn't. Our window panes are dirty. We need teshuva. We need repentance. We need to turn to the Lord and seek His forgiveness. We need to be men and women who are sold out to Christ, saying, Lord, there is nothing in my life that I will hold back from you. You are my all. I want you to ask yourself the question, how are my window panes? Is the glory of God visible in my life? Am I sold out to Christ? So you got to tell you, your spiritual strength really never becomes iron until what you desire is secondary to what God desires. In fact, you love what He desires. The question is, do you love what He desires? Pray with me. Father, we are men and women who are clearly in your presence. When we stop and really think about it, we are in awe of what you have done for us. That you, in fact, did sacrifice your son, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins because he is perfect. Lord, I, I would ask that in this coming week, as we examine our lives and allow your spirit to examine us, if there's anything we're holding back, please give us the courage to surrender it. Clean us up, cleanse us, so that your glory and your love and your power clearly shine through in our lives. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness. We pray in your most holy name. Amen. Well, that's awesome. I love it. I think there's a lot to to just kind of resonate with. One of the things that stands out to me that he said, uh, there's always more to what God says than what we initially understand. Man, I think that's so true. There are things that I'm finding out in my life that I don't understand about God and what he has for me. I don't understand why men watch Hallmark movies, but that's just me. That's just me. To each his own. But what I do know is that I press into God and try to understand what he has for me as a dad, as a husband, as a pastor, that God is using some things to help me understand him better. And I'm grateful for that. And I'm grateful for what Tom shared. I think it's vital for us to hear. And I think it's just an important thing as we walk through this time. And as fathers, man, happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day weekend. Um, Tom actually has a book out there. If you would be interested in picking one of those up, you're welcome to just right outside of the auditorium in the lobby. You can check that out, and uh, he'd be happy to have a conversation if you have a moment. But I just want to let you know about that. But what we want to do is, listen, 
we would hate for a father to go away without maybe somebody. And you guys on Saturdays have an amazing opportunity. Uh, we had you register as you walked in, and uh, many of you put your name in there. And uh, we actually are going to give you what, what most men deserve, right? Some, some good quality steaks so that you have something to eat tomorrow because maybe somebody forgot to go to the grocery store. I don't know. But uh, Alan Haberling, uh, where are you at? All right, Alan right here. Can we give it up for Alan? Congratulations. Right after service, I'll connect with Alan, and we'll make sure that he gets his prize pack. And I think we have enough for uh, myself and maybe Pastor David to join you, so that should be good. And um, I'm excited about that. But, no, it's great to have you here. You guys are awesome. Thanks for walking through this with us. Enjoy your weekend, and we will talk to you soon.